Hello and welcome to the Every Nation Twane Moikluf podcast. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message with us. We're in an incredible series called I Am Jonah. Can you say, I am Jonah? Can you turn to the person next to you and say, you are Jonah? Yes. And then tell your second choice, the other person, but so am I. (laughs) Okay, there we go. So last week, Philip did an incredible job just opening up the, the series. We spoke about the rebellious servant, that Jonah was a rebellious servant. And here's, here's what we learned last week. So those, those of you who don't know the story, uh, Jonah was a prophet who lived around 750 to 800 BC during the reign of Jeroboam II, king of Israel. And so Jonah as a prophet, God came to him and told him exactly what his will is. God basically said to Jonah, this is my will. This is what I want you, my mouthpiece, my prophet to do. And here it is in Jonah chapter 1 verse 2. It says, God said to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Okay. So go to the lost world. Go to the world that does not know me. Tell them that I want to save them. Because that's basically what it came down to. God wanted to save this city that was rampant with evil and destruction, okay? So many times we wonder, what is God's will? Like, what is God's will for our lives? We've got two different kinds of God's will for your life, God's calling over your life. We, we call it the general will of God and the specific will of God. I've got a table that I created just for the sake of this message. So God's general will for our lives, and that's his will for everyone. There's, it's not, no one's excluded, everyone is included, that's God's will for everyone, and God's will for everyone is in short, to be saved, to be discipled, to go, to read the Bible, to pray, to go to church, um, to see sinners saved and submitted. So you, there's, a, there's an effect that we want to have on the, on the world out there, that's God's will for everyone. These are just a couple of aspects that I'm mentioning now, but it comes down to the fact that God wants to enjoy a relationship with everyone, and see all those who have a relationship with Him affect the world out there to also have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus. That's his general will. It's his general calling. His specific calling is just the place that you live out the general calling. So your specific calling might be you are called to be a doctor or a business person or an athlete or you're called, but in that place where you are, the focus is the general call. It's to grow there. It's to make disciples there. It is to have an effect on the world there. It is to lead sinners and unbelievers to faith in God and see them saved and submitted to Him. That's the, that's the, the general call, and the specific call is just where you live it out. So which one would you say is more important, the general or the specific? The general. The general, the one that no one can escape. Obviously, in the church world, we hear about a lot of pastors and Prophets and apostles and these guys who have all of these titles, falling in sin, cheating on their wives, um, laundering money, things like that. But those guys don't fall because they are pastors. 
You don't fall because you're a pastor. You don't fall because you're walking your specific calling. You fall because you neglected the general call. You neglected relationship with God that everyone is called to. You neglect the transparency. You neglect the church community. A church is not this on a Sunday. I mean, this is the gathering of believers. This is awesome. But part of this is when we go away here, there's relationships. There's a couple of people sitting here that knows exactly what's going on in my life. My, the, the good and the bad. That's church. As we get involved in each other's lives, it's that we, we're actually actively discipling people to Christ. That's church. And so when you neglect that, when you rise above that, when the name of the individual, the pastor, becomes higher than Jesus Christ, and it's the same in all of our lives, the moment the name, your name, your will, your desires becomes higher than that of God, that's where the fall will happen. That's, that's where the fall happens. So that's the general and the specific call. So here we see God's will for the sinner. He gives Jonah is to be saved and for them to submit to him. And so God's will for the servant is to go to the sinner and help him be saved and submitted to the Lord. How did Jonah respond? Rebellion. Jonah 1 verse 3 says this, but Jonah, he didn't even respond. Like he didn't even speak to God. He says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He turns away from God and God's will and he runs away. He's not just running away. So Philip shared last week that Tarshish was actually a very busy business center. What he didn't mention, I put a map on the, on the screen, was that Tarshish was generally acknowledged by the known world as the furthest place west that you can travel. It is at the western tip of North Africa, Europe, it is like be, just before you go out, out into the open ocean to cross over to North America, you reach Tarsus. So Jonah was not just going to a busy business center because maybe he had an idea, a business plan or something. That's, that's not just it. Jonah fled as far as he possibly could. That's, re, that's max level rebellion. The youth, they, they, use, they, they speak mingles and they say, why the rebellion so great, you know? Like, that's hectic. Why? Why this rebellious servant? Because, uh, yo, and this struck me, while, while looking through this whole book, and you'll see as the weeks go, Jonah was not a lacquer guy. And when I say he's not a lacquer guy, I mean like, you wouldn't want to appoint him. In your, you, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't even want him to be cleaning your garden. Like, he's not a lacquer guy. And you'll find out why, but the bottom line is he's, he's in the Bible. 2,800 years later, and we're speaking, speaking about Jonah. Was it because Jonah was incredible? No, not at all. Jonah was rebellious. He's a rebellious servant. So, why did he rebel first? Why did he rebel? We all have our reasons why we rebel, and next week we're going to look into the reasons why we rebel, mostly. Um, but... In our rebellion, in our rebellion, we see through this message this morning that God is still gracious. God still provides. That's why Jonah is in the Bible. It's because in spite of all the imperfections of everyone in the Bible, the kings, the prophets, the, the stories, I mean, just consider, when you read, read the stories of like some of these kings. King David, oh my goodness. The greatest king Israel ever had. 
did some terrible things. Why are they in the Bible? Because the Bible is not about people. It's not about perfect or imperfect people. It's about a perfect God that is gracious and loving and kind. And this morning, my title is that God's provision. We're talking about God's provision this morning. And specifically, the question that I want to answer is, how does God respond to us when we rebel? Jonah rebelled. How how does God respond? What does he do with our rebellion? What does he do with our unfaithfulness? How does he move us back into his will from our own will? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1, verse 70. We're jumping a bit. And then in Jonah chapter 2, if you've got your Bible, you're welcome to open up there. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And I'll read chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, and verse 8, 9, and 10. So here it goes. Now the Lord provided, okay, so Jonah's floating or sinking, probably sinking, because there's a storm brewing and it's hectic ocean. And so Jonah is sinking and he's dying. And the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. First time he speaks to God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. Verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Okay, how does God respond to our rebellion? Number one, God disrupts. He disrupts. So, Jonah's on a one-way path, away from God's will, and God sends a storm. And Jonah's plans completely disrupted. No idea what to do. The most gracious and loving thing that God can do to us when we rebel, when we have a certain plan or a will to go a certain direction, is to completely disrupt your plans. Now that's, no one enjoys that, right? No one enjoys it when someone disrupts your plan. Yesterday, I was at a wedding. I was speaking to a girl there. Uh, she recently, she's a good friend of mine. Uh, she recently broke up with her boyfriend. Uh, it was a really tough thing for her, but her boyfriend says he's, he's supposed to, he's in ministry, okay, at, a, at another church in the city. He's in ministry, and he wanted to start smoking again. He's in ministry. Now he wants to start smoking. Now, Many of you sitting here might say, what's wrong with smoking? Well, the problem with smoking, highly addictive, highly damaging, but more than that, there's emotional need in this guy that was unearthed when we did equip training. He was doing gospel-centered living, so spoke about idols, a lot of things came up. He didn't know how to deal with it, so he wanted to grab a cigarette to try and numb the feeling, to feel better, to try and deal with it. But, so he didn't want to turn to God to help and actively seek someone to walk with him and help as he is in ministry. He wanted to turn to something that will provide temporary relief, eventually just end up controlling his life, becoming an addiction. That's where he wanted to go. Now, if some of you are sitting here, you're addicted to smoking, I know it's a really tough addiction to leave behind. 
Um, so please don't feel condemned. God's grace is sufficient. He, will be, he is able to free you, set you free from that. But this guy goes to her and he says, I'm going to start smoking again. They have a fight. She disrupts his plan. There's disruption. And they break up. The moment his plans were disrupted, what he really wanted, when she disagreed and she didn't, she, she didn't agree with that, someone disagrees, then we, we don't like that. It's not fun. It's not nice. But here's the reality. What would have happened if Jonah had his way? What would have happened if God, if God had not disrupted? Well, you'll we'll find out probably by week four what is the result, obviously, of God disrupting and Jonah going back. But in short, thousands of people would have perished, died. Uh, they would never have heard of Jonah. We would never have heard of Jonah. We would never read about Jonah. Um, millions and thousands of people who would spend eternity in heaven with Christ because they repented would have perished if Jonah had his way. Or... God would have had to use someone else. We would never read of Jonah, we'd read of someone else. That's probably the reality of many people. But God disrupts. He disrupts. Now, you need to understand something. When Jonah told the sailors, throw me overboard, then the storm will subside, he didn't know that the fish was going to save him. He didn't know God was going to save him. He basically, he basically concluded that he was disobedient, so now he, he's, he has to die. He was, he was like, let me just commit suicide. He was suicidal. That's, that's where Jonah was. And then, from that place, God loved him too much to leave him to himself, to leave him in that place. The very root of everything that is wrong with the world today and wrong with us today is that we are separated from God. It's, that's the very root. The reason why Jonah was depressive was because he was separated from God. He was walking away from his will. But in every part of your life that you are reconciled with God, that you are knowing God, that you are in relationship with him, that you are surrendering things to him, that is where you are not destructive. That's where you're not broken. That's where you're restored. That's where you're healthy. Jonah would have perished completely. Completely. He was separated from God's will. He was running away. I praise God that God disrupted his plan. That leads us to point number two. Not just disrupt, but God provides. He provides. I don't know if you guys saw in verse 17, I, I laid emphasis on it. God provided the fish. I don't know who here has spent some time inside a fish Obviously, uh, scientifically, they say it is uh, not possible. Some sperm whales would be able to swallow. You'd be able to sit in there, but you'd uh, die of lack of oxygen. There's no oxygen for you to breathe. There's stomach acids and things like that. So um, you wouldn't be able to, to survive being inside the stomach of a fish, scientifically. Now, if God even created oxygen, if God made fish and God breathes out stars, then he's probably mighty and strong enough to be able to, pr to provide a fish that you can live inside of. Um, I think more than that, if he's mighty enough to overcome death, to rise from the grave, to perform miracles, to change five loaves and two fishes into food for 5,000, he's probably 
mighty enough to provide oxygen inside a fish. So basically, the point that I want to make is this was a miracle. This was supernatural. It was not natural. It was not possible. So Jonah, and there's no reason why Jonah would actually be making this up, because throughout the whole book, he looks like an absolute nutcase. Like it, it makes himself look so bad, but he's inside a fish. Now, if you were inside a fish, okay, you would have some, some acid problems, your skin probably bleach white, you'd, it would not be comfortable, okay, it, was, it would be terrible. But, God, <laughs> it is not death. It's better than death, okay? Jonah's not going to die, at least. And he's probably safer inside the fish than he was on the boat, if the storm continued the way it would, because from the boat it would go to the sea, from the sea it would go to death. We're back to death. It's not death, it's inside the fish. It's very uncomfortable. It's extremely uncomfortable, but it's the perfect place for Jonah to be humbled. It's the perfect place for Jonah to become humble. Now, when God disrupts, when God disrupts our rebellion, it is tough. It is tough because we, we have reasons why we rebelled in the first place. We have reasons why we choose our own will. We, we have beliefs. We, we have things we think. Okay, if this, this choice I'm making, going to Tarsus, Jonah himself probably had a couple of philosophies and ideas. Once again, I don't want to give too much away, but he was a racist. Jonah was a racist. He hated the Syrians because they attacked Israel so, so much. And Nineveh was one of the capital cities of, of uh, Assyria. And he knew God would save Nineveh, so he didn't want to go there. He wanted them to perish. He was a racist. So he had his reasons, he felt justified, he had a plan, he wanted to be happy, he probably wanted to have a good life, so he wanted to go to Tarsus, make a lot of money. Man, when God disrupts, it's tough, because you don't want to listen. Everything in you is just angry. And even when you're some, doing something wrong and someone tells you you're, you're wrong, who likes someone telling you you're wrong? Anyone who likes that? If you're driving and someone, you, you make a small mistake and they lie on that hooter, you know, that, how's, how's that? You know, you've got comments, right? You've got a response. When someone else does it to you, you lie, you do the same with them. Anyways, it's tough. But there's a place where God's grace provides a way, an interim, stable place where you won't perish, but you're very uncomfortable. I think, of, um, I think of a friend of my father's who told me that uh, he, was, he, was, he was 40, 50 million rand strong net worth. He was so wealthy and he had just signed the biggest deal of his life. He was driving in his car and he said, well done, you've made it in life. Not even God can stop you now. And it was not long. The deal fell through. A couple of surety on some of his assets. Things got seized. And he was back to, an, to a net worth of, I think, minus three million in debt. With no stable source of income. Now, he was not in prison. He was not away from his family. He still had his family, but he was not in the very comfortable house. He was in limbo. He was, he was in this, this middle place where he just, he had to make a decision. Is he going to continue rebelling, continue being prideful? Or is he going to listen? Is he going to humble himself? And that's what Jonah did. We see in verse 2, Jonah says, chapter 2, verse 2, he says, In my distress I called to the Lord, 
and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Now, this is good, because Jonah at this point, I don't know, like there was no, no fish riding pioneers that came before Jonah to tell him, like, when you get swallowed by the fish, like, here's what you do, you know, here's the job, you know, the fish riders of old, you guys have heard of them, no, uh, sorry, okay, no, anyways, so, Jonah didn't know if he would make it, he didn't know, he had no idea what was going to be the outcome, he had no idea what was going to be the future, but that's the thing when we rebel, right, we want to be in control of the future, we want to be able to say how we want things to turn out, Jonah now, control is completely taken away from him. And he's in this, he's in this, I call it the belly period, right? When you're in that belly period, in that middle, that in between, that three million in debt, but you're not in prison, you're not dead, you're not drowning, but you're not on land, you're in the belly. You're in the belly period. I hope that doesn't, maybe that becomes a saying in every nation work club. Well, I'm just going through a belly period, you know. It's good, humble yourselves. In that belly, um, Jonah didn't know what's going to be the future. He was not in control. He relinquished, he, he lost control. And he turned to God. But I have a question. Do we really want to first go through a belly period before we will actually listen to God's call, to God's will, relinquish control, giving up our will? Do you really want to, do you, do you want to go there? That's, it's very uncomfortable. It's tough. I know a couple of faces sitting here. I know your story. I know you went through a, through a belly period. A big one in your life. It's tough. Jonah didn't have, it wasn't, didn't have to do it. But he rebelled. But God disrupted. And God still provided. And in God's provision. You know what's the incredible thing? This whole story is not just about a faraway mission. It's not about God just saving the Ninevites. If it was just about the Ninevites, he would have rejected Jonah and let Jonah go to Tarsus and have his way and just use someone else. But for God, he didn't just care about the Ninevites, he actually cared about the rebellious servant as well. He actually cared about Jonah. Was he what used Jonah? And so, that's why God provided this situation and these circumstances so that Jonah would humble himself. But the scripture says, not just only humbled himself, God answered. It's my third point, God answers. So what does, how, does God, how does God respond to our rebellion? How does he move us back to his will? He disrupts, he provides, and then he answers. Our first instinct when we go through a belly season is to be angry at God, to blame him for the discomfort. How dare you do this to me? Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we, why do we, why are we angry at God? Why do we blame him when tough things, when suffering and struggles come our way? Why do we blame him? Why are we angry at him? Well, obviously one of the main reasons is because also of what the scripture says. Verse eight, it says, those who turn to vain idols forsake the love of God. Those who turn to vain idols. The reality is, the reason is you have another God. Someone, something else is God. It's the most important thing, not, not God. That's why when God does not make you God, 
or allow your gods to be God, then you're angry at him for not making you God, for not doing things the way that you want to. But even in that, I've got a good friend who went through one of the deepest strategies I've ever been through in my entire life, that I've, I've ever seen, I've ever thought of in my entire life. He lost his baby boy. Lost his baby boy. And if there's anyone who was allowed, who, who, who could probably be justified to be angry at God, it was him, him and his wife. And there were times that they were. There were times that they were angry at God. But here's the thing. A lot of psychologists, when you ask them, how, do I, how should I deal with, with tragedy? How should I deal with trauma? How do I deal with it? There's a couple of techniques that will teach you, but one of those is don't do it alone. Like don't, don't, don't isolate yourself. But the truth of mourning is that when the tragedy happens, everyone rallies around you, right? They're all close, they're there, they're helping, they're speaking, they're, they're, and then at some point, their lives, continue, their lives have to go on. They go on. And so the final stage of grief is almost always alone. It's always alone. You've got, you've got to do it alone. But there's no other religion in the world no other worldview in the world that says that God suffered the loss of his son as well. And so the fact that God suffered the loss of his son means that for every person suffering the loss of someone or something, God answers. And there's never a point where you have to go through that suffering alone. More so, if God is not God of the suffering, then the people we lose, we have no hope to ever see them again. We have no hope of their restoration. This friend of mine, his, his boy was about 10 months old, and for, for 10 months, this baby just experienced needles going into his arms. Operation after operation, heart operation, a lot of things. Time after time after time again. If God is not there, then this boy, that was his life, and now he is left with that. But if God is there, then he's busy dancing before the throne of God. He's busy celebrating eternity. He's busy rejoicing, knowing infinite love, and he bypassed all of the terrible things that would happen on this earth. And so if you would ask this friend of mine, why didn't you forsake God? Why don't you forsake God when this tragedy happened? And he would say, that would mean I would have to forsake hope. I would have to forsake closeness with the only one who actually understands what I'm going through. I would condemn myself to death if I had to turn away from God during my suffering. Now, obviously, the story of my friends is... is that suffering season is not the result because of, it's not, not the result of disobedience to God. It's the result of the reality of suffering and death in our world that is there. It's a condition that God will do away with one day. I preached at a wedding yesterday and I preached on that scripture, Revelation 21. God will wipe away all tears. No more death, no more suffering, no more pain. That's our hope. That's the place where we're going to. But if God is not there, then there's no hope. There's not that. There's none of that. 
And so, when things don't go your way, and you are tempted to turn away from God, it is probably because God was not God in the first place. Something else was. And the scripture is saying exactly that, verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols, to things that are more important than God, they turn away from God's love for them. It's not God withholding his love. It's not God's love taking his love away from you. It's you making sure that you build a wall between you and God that his love cannot, his love cannot, you, you turn away from it. God's love is available to every single person except the one that rejects it constantly, constantly, constantly. But if for a moment you would turn around, if for a moment we would humble ourselves, God would come. The incredible thing, G.K. Chesterton said, when you cease to worship God, you don't worship nothing, you worship anything. When one turns to God, he always answers, he always saves. He always does that. And that brings us to the final point, number four, God saves. God saves. Verse nine, Jonah says, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish. So Jonah, Jonah recognizes something here in verse nine. And this is sort of the pinnacle of this chapter. It's verse nine, it reads its, its climax, its height, its pinnacle. It's the moment when Jonah realizes Salvation belongs to God. For my life to be saved and to give eternal salvation to everyone. Remember why Jonah didn't want to go? Was a racist? He didn't want the Ninevites to be saved for everything they've done to him and his people. That's why, so Jonah wanted to be the distributor of salvation. Jonah will decide who gets saved and who does not. And here in the belly moment, here in the belly moment, he realizes, no, salvation is God's. Now, there's something that we need to realize. I said in the beginning, God's will for everyone, for everyone, is that we reach people, is that we share Jesus Christ with all the people everywhere we go to take opportunities and moments to pray for people, to speak to them about Jesus, to lead them to Jesus, to move them along the scale. Philip Spall also talks about the scale. You get people who's minus eight, minus 10, minus 12. In other words, there's a lot of barriers. Some people have more barriers towards faith in God. Some people have less barriers. Some people are a minus two. You say something about Jesus, they'll commit. Zero, salvation, praise God. And then they can continue to be transformed and grow in their relationship with God. But from minus 10, our calling is to constantly be moving people along, closer and closer and closer to the point where they will receive Jesus Christ. That is, that is God's call for everyone, his will for everyone. And when we have this message and we decide, but I will not share it with this person because it's gonna take time for me. It's gonna be uncomfortable. What if I do it wrong? Indirectly, we're making the choice of who will be saved and who will not. Indirectly, we're trying to take that message of salvation that belongs to God, that he will save, and, and we, we, try to, we try to decide who will be saved and who will not. 
It's not your conscious decision in that moment. It's not what you consciously are doing. It's, what you, it's subconsciously the result. Is that someone would not be moved along because you decided that you will not participate in God's will. We decided. I decided. I constantly decide this. I, I just want to say, I recently went through a restructuring of my whole calendar. Because since the day that we have planted this church, I've been so like, busy with admin. I'm just sitting behind a desk, organizing things, planning things, doing things, writing things. And God says, but you've got a, you've got a cousin that needs me. You've got a friend. You've got, a, you've got this. You've got that. You've got... And I have, I've got this message. Look, I've been very equipped. I have no excuse not to reach people. But I was comfortable. I'm comfortable where I'm at. <coughs> to reach out is uncomfortable. So make mistakes. People reject what you say. It's uncomfortable. It's not as uncomfortable as, as a belly season, you know. But it's uncomfortable. It costs us something. And so we when we disobey in that moment, there's a place where salvation no longer belongs to God, but to us. And so Jonah, part of his whole repentance, part of his whole turning back was, salvation belongs to God. It's not to me. I will go. I will go. And so God saves him. God uh, commands the fish. And it's incredible that the, the fish vomits Jonah back onto dry land. Like I don't know if the fish had to beach itself hop a bit, vomit, and try and scoot back. But the incredible thing is Jonah didn't have to strive. He wasn't vomited in the middle of the ocean and now he has to swim. Jonah went from a stable place in God's will <coughs> in Israel on dry land. He chose instability, turning away from God's will on the sea. God take him, takes him from the fish and he puts him back in a stable place. This friend of, uh, of my father told me the story. That was, that was not the end. It was not three million in debt in the end. That's not the end. The end was when he humbled himself, and he turned to God, started really getting involved in what's God's will for his life. God restored him. Not yet to what he, what he had back then, but no more debt. Stability. There's stability again. It's incredible. But even more than that, Diana, will you be able to join me on, on stage? Even more than that, this part, this Jonah spending three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, do you know what that points to? Jesus. That points to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, the Pharisees are asking Jesus, give us a sign that you are the Messiah. He says, I'll give you no sign except for the sign of Jonah. And then he says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The reason why this story is in the Bible the reason why we have this four chapters of a rebellious servant going through the phases of God's provision, God's salvation, God's compassion, and just being hard until the very end, 
is because it all points to Jesus. You see, Jesus, God came to his son. Obviously, they're one, but gave his son an assignment. Go to that great city. Go to that great place, earth. For there is a lot of evil there. And go and, and take them the message. Go and do whatever it takes to save them. And instead of rebelling, Jesus was the good servant. Jonah was the rebellious servant. And we are Jonah. But Jesus was not. And Jesus was faithful. And Jesus shared the message. And many will be saved. But in the end, Jesus died on the cross a death as if he was the rebellious servant in the place of every single rebellious servant on this planet. So that if we would receive Jesus Christ, then he would be the good servant through us, through your life. The message here this morning, friends, is not go and do God's will. It's not go and do. It's receive Jesus. It's invite Jesus in. It's pursue Jesus Christ. Because there is no good servant on this earth except for Jesus. And there will be no good servant on this earth except for those who have Jesus doing it through them. The message this morning is God's provision. It's that God provided His Son, Jesus Christ, so that every single one of us sitting here, not wanting to share Jesus with anyone, anywhere, wanting to remain in our comfort zones, wanting to heap up our own gods and idols and things we love that make us, make us feel comfortable. The message is not stop doing that. The message is not do better. The message is not go and pursue God's will. The message is Jesus did it because none of us can. And if you receive Jesus, He will do it through you. If you submit to Jesus, He will do it through you. Jesus, Acts chapter 2, there's this message and it says, Peter is preaching this message, it says, God has made Jesus Christ both Lord and Savior. Jesus does not just save you from the belly of the fish. He does not just save you from eternal separation with God. He becomes your master. He becomes the one to, to govern your life. And that is... It's the same thing. It's, the, it's two sides of the same coin. It is impossible to say Jesus is my savior, but then he is not my master. It is not possible because then you don't understand Jesus. The one who is your master is the one you trust to save you. And if it's not Jesus, you're not trusting Jesus. I'm not saying if you trust Jesus, you need to be perfect. I'm saying when you commit to Jesus, he starts living His perfectness through you. It's not a commitment to live sinless. It's a commitment to Jesus. It's God's provision. So, I want to create a moment for us to respond to God's provision. So let's all close our eyes. Let's all close our eyes. here this morning you realize that you are on a different path you are not obeying God you are not 
within God's will for your life. And God is, God is disrupting. He's either disrupted or he's disrupting here this morning. And you want to take a moment to humble yourself to say, Lord, I'm sorry for not walking in your will, but following my own ways. If you want to humble yourself here this morning to turn back to God's will so that his grace may flood your life, so that Jesus Christ may flood your heart, will you please be so bold to stand so we can pray with you? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. This is not a call if, you, if you're not saved. This is a call if you have been walking on a different road for God, than God's will. You've been disobedient. God has disrupted your life through this message. You want to turn back. You want to humble yourself. Please stand. It's good. Yo, praise God. Praise God. It's a very humbling moment, guys. Thank you so much for humbling yourself before the Lord. Those of you standing, you can open up your hands. Those of you sitting, you can just meditate on God in this moment. Just intercede for people that you don't see who's standing. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for every person standing right now. Lord, thank you that this is the disruption moment. Maybe it happened before this service even, but this message, this is the disruption moment for all of us. We humble ourselves. We say salvation belongs to God. Your will be done, not ours, Lord. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights, so were you, Jesus, so that we do not have to in our place. Lord, we humble ourselves. We need you to come and live your life through us. We are not perfect. We have so many sin that we're struggling to let go of. We're struggling to, to free, to be free from. And even more than that, Father, man, we're struggling to share your word. Lord, will you come, please, Lord. Come and, and do this through us. Wash us clean. Salvation belongs to God, not to us. Save us. Transform us. Change us. Take us back from instability, back stable into your will. Thank you, Lord, that you do that. You forgive us. Oh, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can sit again. But there's a second group of people I want to pray with. And this is specifically evangelistically. Friends, you know God's called us. He's called all of us to share his word, to speak his word, to proclaim him boldly to people who don't believe. If you want to trust God to come and give you strength, give you power, give you wisdom, give you moments to prompt you to use you, will you stand? If you want God to use you in the lives of the people around you, will you stand so we can pray? Praise God. You want God to use you to preach the gospel. If you stand now, the Holy Spirit's going to bother you, okay? It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be moments. You're going to be really now? Now? They just paid their bill. They're, they're walking. It's, they're, they're leaving. Now? Yes, now. So if you stand now, then you're saying, I will say yes. I will go. Even in the most uncomfortable moments, in the most uncomfortable times, I want to be used by God to reach people, to turn, to, to turn people to Him. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes. <laughs> you can open up your hands, maybe just to receive what God wants to give in this moment to all of you.
Father, everything that's wrong in this world is the result of people being separated from you. We will no longer sit idly by as people perish, as people continue in their lives, separated from your incredible will for them, separated from this loving relationship that you have pursued your whole, our whole existence you have pursued us. Today, Lord, you're calling us back and you wanna use us. Every single person standing here, I pray, break every barrier. You don't need greater equipping. You don't need more knowledge. You don't need to be ready. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need that. You need power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will witness and here it is. Receive it in Jesus' name. And that concludes today's message. For more information, visit our website at everynationtwane.org forward slash moikloof. That's everynationtwane.org forward slash moikloof. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Till next time then. Hey!